Welcome to another edition of the Dugout Podcast here on WFI with myself, Andy Wales. Uh, this is, of course, the, uh, the podcast that takes in a multitude of different opinions and thoughts on a number of different footballing topics from all around the world. Uh, anyone who follows me, seeing anything that I've written, will know that um, I am perhaps a little bit obsessed by German football. It is certainly uh, dominates a lot of my thinking. So, um, yes. This is another uh, German football-dominated uh, uh, podcast, and, and I am joined by um, perhaps the, the the best person to talk to when it comes to uh, to all things German football. He is a German football expert, none other than Mr. Jonathan Harding, and uh, of course the author of Mensch. So, welcome back to the uh, back to the show, Jonathan. Andy, thanks for having me and for that that lovely intro. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote it all out beforehand, as you can tell the way I stumbled <laughs> through it. <laughs> um, so the, this this season is um, it's finally over. It's it certainly took a long time to complete. It's been a very um, complex, trying, difficult, a very unusual season. Uh, we we've had everything. Obviously, the whole COVID situation. Uh, we've had Geisterspieler, and there is going to be so so much to talk about here. We are going to get through. Uh, Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, München, Gladbach, Leverkusen, Schalke, Werder Bremen, uh, Arminia Bielefeld, VfB Stuttgart, Heidenheim, and of course Hamburger SV. So awful lot there to uh, to discuss and to cover. But I guess you know, being the Bundesliga, first things first. Um, Bayern Munich are champions again, Jonathan, but I think it would be unfair to just kind of dismiss that as, oh, well, Bayern are champions, that always happens, because uh, it certainly wasn't quite uh, as simple as this this past season, was it? Uh, no, it feels like a lifetime ago that, that Niko Kovac <laughs> was fired, um, or at least left the club. Uh, I have to say, it did feel like another opportunity missed for Dortmund. I'm sure we'll get to them later, but... No, Bayern deserve a lot of credit because they were they were as ruthless as Bayern have, have ever been, perhaps. The most ruthless I've seen Bayern since the Pep Guardiola years when Hansi Flick was made head coach. And just an amazing job by him. I think it's not to, you know, not to be forgotten that he used to work with the German national team in 2014 and he was a big part of the reason that they won the World Cup in Brazil. I think his understanding of how to work with with bigger egos and bigger personalities definitely plays a role in the in the way he got uh, players at Bayern Munich performing again. Um, you know, the fact that Jerome Boateng and Thomas Muller were players that looked more like they did in 2014 than they did in maybe 2018 or 19 was a was a real credit to Flick and the way that he he's got Bayern playing. Um, just so impressive across the board, scoring a lot of goals, ruthlessly pinning down the opposition, giving them no chance. And, you know, ultimately we find ourselves at the end of another season, like you say, where they're champions. But the difference is, I think it's hard to say too much that this was a case of of other teams losing it. You know, Borussia Dortmund were very good down the stretch. Um, I, I I have this feeling with Dortmund that, that I didn't think they were. Um very good in the last few games and then I remember checking back and being corrected and being like no they, they really were and I think that's the problem you know Bayern was so good that you start to think other people must be making mistakes for them to be so so far ahead but the truth is Dortmund made their mistakes in the first half of the season and Bayern just didn't make any uh, in the second half so credit to them but it does pose a problem about the Bundesliga going forward because it's not something the league can sustain you know, Bayern Munich can't keep winning the title, uh, and for the Bundesliga to stay to stay relevant. Yeah, that's. I mean, this is a thing with you know you hear Bayern Munich are champions, or Bayern Munich are always champions. That league is so predictable. I mean, I, I this has been the season where it has been tremendously unpredictable at times, in, in, not just in terms of results and uh, and performances, but it, it was. It, <sighs> So many, so many things happening throughout that you just well, you, I wasn't expecting that today. You you rock up thinking, oh, okay, this is going to happen, and then something changes, and and it's I th- I found it a really really entertaining, really fun season to watch, and it is just that little. I think for the Bundesliga, obviously marketing wise, it would have been ideal to have a different winner, but it would be churlish to take away the achievement of buying the season under Hansi Flick. 
Yeah, I mean, the season itself, you're right, was was spectacular. There was a, a time where I thought Gladbach were going to win the league, where I thought Leipzig were going to have a go at it. There was a time where Dortmund looks impressive, you know, where where it looked totally different to previous years. And and I think one of the most important things is to is to think about the fact that, you know, this was some of the best ever performances from some of these teams in, in league history. I think it was something, you know, Dortmund scoring the most goals they've ever scored, um, something like that. And and then you've got Gladbach uh, nearly having equally in their points total, their highest points total ever in the league. So it's not like teams aren't performing to the best of their abilities. Obviously, you can take individual games and disappointing performances and say, well, if they'd won there and if you'd won there, then maybe things would look different. But, you know, that's sport, that's football. That's why we watch it, because nothing's guaranteed. Um, but I, I, you know, Bayern deserve a lot of credit. But it, I think the biggest problem is that it's very hard to sell something internationally yeah, if you don't have something at the top of the table, you know, you you and I are certainly interested in how Werder Bremen are doing and, and Christian Streich at Freiburg and, and the race for the Europa League and all the stories that are coming out of Hertha Berlin. And that's that's great. And I'm sure Bundesliga fans who are interested in that will be tuning in for, for those stories. But I think for the Bundesliga to gain a greater spread of recognition, um, it needs it needs to have a different title winner, and I think also just for the clubs, you need to change things up because the league itself. I've always said I've always thought that the league is a great developmental league, and it's been so good at that, giving opportunities to young players and young coaches. And I don't think it should stray from that path because if it does, the inevitable path it will go down will try to be like the Premier League, and I think that's a big problem. It shouldn't try to do that; it should just excel at what it does. But inevitably, the league is going to want to grow, and part of that growth is change and I think if the change can come in the form of a different title winner then the league can still retain its status as being the best place to develop in Europe yeah and I guess just before we move off Bayern I mean one last thing just on Hansi Flick because I think he has been absolutely integral no two ways about it this is not like a a one-trick pony in that he's just all he's done is um you know, get all the old players back in the team, uh, get them full of confidence. As you mentioned, you know, Jerome Boateng, who was expected to be leaving. You've got Thomas Muller, who was sat on the bench or, or, or looking at an absolute shadow of his former self. Emmanuel Neuer, look, at, you know, the, those two have been excellent. You know, Thomas Muller getting, was it 21 assists, a, a league record? Uh, Manuel Neuer looking back to his best, but it's not just about those established players. He's, he's brought through young players, uh, Alfonso Davies, obviously Lewandowski having an absolutely phenomenal season. And I think of the midfield as well, though, Jonathan, in terms of what he's done there, because Joshua Kimmich, I was not, I was not convinced about him in midfield as as maybe I was three, four years ago that he could transition there. I wasn't always convinced over the last couple of years that it could happen. Yet he's he has done it. He has he's made sure that that is that that looks now his nailed down position. And alongside him, Leon Goretzka has um, not just metaphorically but physically <laughs> transformed since the lockdown. And those two together, you know, Yogi Yogi Love must be sort of you know clasping his hands in absolute glee at what he's got in his hands he must be yeah I mean and now Leroy Sane has joined so he must be delighted <laughs> um, yeah I, I agree I was also you know I'm sure people who who follow the, the work I've done will, will, will know that I'm in the same camp or at least I was with Joshua Kimmich in midfield because I think he's one of the best right backs in the world however you know, you have to admit when you're wrong. And he, I was absolutely wrong because he's been so, so good in midfield that it's now hard to think of him not playing in that position every week. Um, individually, yeah, the players have, have improved dramatically. But I think it's all because Flick is very good at two things. He's good at speaking to people. He understands how to, to coach the individual. He understands how to talk to individuals to make sure that they're aware of the situation. And, you know, if Leon Goretzka wants to play more games then it needs to be clear to him that he needs to play at a certain level. But there also needs to be an open and honest conversation. Well, you know, you're not the only player in midfield who wants to play there. You know, there's a certain player called Thiago who happens to be pretty good who also wants to play. So there needs to be an open level of communication. And I think um, Flick has done a great job of being communicative and, and making it clear that this is Bayern Munich and it is competition for your place and you have to win that right to play every week. And secondly, he's got them playing in a way that suits them down to the ground. You know, Bayern Munich are not the type the type of side I don't think that should be trying to patiently pass their way 
through an opponent. You know, this is a team that likes to be very uh, offensive, very attacking, very brutal, very ruthless. And that's why the, the pressing game that he's got them playing works so perfectly. So it's a combination of the two, really, that have put Bayern back at the top. And uh, Flick deserves an enormous amount of credit for that. Yeah, I mean, and segueing on using the, the using the coaching theme, um, you know, the the difference when you think it, uh, that Flick has, has made at Bayern over the course of the season from from how vulnerable and and fragile Bayern looked under Kovac before his departure, could a different coach make all the difference for Borussia Dortmund? Because uh, I mean, Lucien Favre, obviously, he's helped them; they've progressed, and they look a much better team, but. You know, do they risk just being the beautiful bridesmaids who never actually get married? Well, I think they've already been the beautiful bridesmaids that haven't got married in the last two seasons, unfortunately for them. Um, I think it's definitely a missed opportunity this year and last year because Bayern were not very good last year under Niko Kovac and that was a missed opportunity for Dortmund, especially given the the nine-point lead that they had at one point. And this year, I think if Dortmund had been able to put their foot down in the first six months, then their performance in the second six months would have mattered a lot more. Obviously, the signing of Erling Haaland in, in January makes a big difference to the, the way they played in the last six months. But I think they'll be kicking themselves over a few results in the first half of the season that they just didn't get. That Had they got, then it would have been a much closer thing earlier on. And... Um, you know, you can make the you can make the, the excuse or not the excuse. You can you can explain that even when Bayern played Dortmund um, during the Geisterspieler situation, that everything was still up for grabs. So really, Dortmund still had an opportunity right up until the end to to stake their claim, and it was a high quality game that was decided by a fantastic goal and ultimately fine margins. Sometimes that does happen, but I think it's a difficult question. And I think it's linked to identity. You know, the, the question of Favre and Dortmund, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he's made Borussia Dortmund a better team than they were in previous seasons. The concern or the question is, can they be a good enough team to win the championship? Well, given that Bayern Munich have now raised the bar once more, now Dortmund have got to reach and go beyond that. And I think maybe, you know, my personal feeling on this is that in the last few seasons, they've been content at taking second um, in in the hope that okay, well, Champions League money will be in Champions League again. You know that's no no bad problem. Bayern Munich are just too good, and I think there needs to be you know Marco Royce if he listens to this won't thank me for this, but this it, it is to a degree. Um, and I know this isn't the only aspect of the argument. I know there are some harsh decisions that have gone against Dortmund this season, but I think it is totally a degree of mentality. Um, because it's it's mentality that's linked with identity. Ever since Jurgen Klopp was there, the way that Borussia Dortmund have been as a football club is loud and passionate and in your face. And I think they have been in instances on the pitch that, but not enough. And I think that it's also demanded from the coach. It's also not expected, I guess, is maybe another way to put it. But if, if it's not there, then it feels like something is missing. And that's not Lucien Favre's fault. That's just who he is. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think any coach after Klopp, there's going to be an inevitable subconscious comparison where you say, oh, it's not quite the same, is it? And I think that's a problem because you need to find a, a way to solve that. You need to find a way to, to make sure that your club doesn't get stuck in the mud and, and always be looking at the past. I think Lucien Favre is going to have one more go at it. Um, I'm keen to see how it how it how it fares, how he fares, because I think a whole season of Haaland, a whole season of players who are fit and a whole season of quite clearly saying, this is it. Because I do feel like this is it for Dortmund in many ways, because two missed opportunities in the last two seasons is one thing, but to miss three times in a row, I know Bayern are great now and they've raised the bar once more, like I said, but I really, really, really think Borussia Dortmund need to run Bayern out of the ground this coming season. I think they need to win the title because it's it's going to be a problem for their identity going forward because who do you who do you appoint after Favre because I can't see him staying if they don't win. So it's difficult. It's definitely a difficult conversation. Um I think the league would benefit from Borussia Dortmund being even better. But as I say, I think it's connected to identity, it's connected to mentality. It's it's you've got to get away from thinking, okay, well there's Bayern, but we're the best of the rest. There's got to be a change there. 
So in terms of mentality and more than just a coach, then is is there an issue then with maybe two, three players on the pitch that are needed to to be um, recruited and to help reinforce things and move things along? Because it kind of feels like Mats Hummels maybe helped in that, in terms of that winning mentality over maybe perhaps what was there before that they the, the weren't so... Um, keen to to uh, to give in in when times got difficult shall we say um this season but you you look around the squad and and some of the players likes of Lucas Piszczek you know that they, they were around when Klopp was there they they they're getting older and yeah there's been new blood there's fresh blood in midfield and in attack but in defense um is that maybe just the area that Dortmund need to uh, to really sort of reinforce if if they are going to Go for it with with Bayern. I mean, defense is always the the talking point with Borussia Dortmund. Um, I think the Hummels signing is is a strange one for many reasons. I think he's added some, obviously, added some qualities, an international caliber defender. But it's always difficult because you know he left Dortmund to win titles. He won those titles, and now he's come back. And I think you have to sort of ask, what's his motivation now? Um, he he plays well. There's no doubt about that. But I think. There are some there's some question marks about who's really leading this team. Marco Royce not being there is obviously a big problem in terms of his injury absence um, and how he leads on on the pitch. But you're right to point out someone like Lukas Piszczek. I think um, he's probably more concerned about his form, given that he's. I'm amazed that he's got another season in him, uh, given given his his age, but also his his drop in form in recent recent years. Um, defensively, they could certainly do with some signings, I, I, but it, it seems too easy to say that. Um, I think they've made some signings, you know, Belleri uh, and Moray. You sort of think, well, if they have got the potential and they sort of played a bit at the end of, of last season, then maybe you give them a full season and you see how, how they fare. But Dortmund, in the signing of, of Axel Witzel and Emre Can um, and almost to a degree, there's certainly a recognition that Borussia Dortmund can't just keep signing 19-year-olds who are going to get great and then sell them for 70 or 100 million because that is a sustainable way to sustain or to develop the business aspect of the football club and to deliver exciting players to the club. But it doesn't win you any titles. And I think there needs to be a, a purposeful decision in the recruitment to bring in players who are at a different stage of their career um, not so far as Mats Hummels, uh, but not so inexperienced as, say, uh, a Jaden Sancho. Obviously, he's worked wonders for them, but you can't, I don't think, I, th- I think you need different characters in a team to win. And I think at the moment, Dortmund are still a bit too young. I'm keen to see what Haaland brings. As he seems like a very ambitious young man. Maybe that will change things. But again, I, Dortmund is such a complicated conversation. Because I think, you know, you've, you've got so many factors at, at play. You've got Barbara, who's the coach that has made them a better football team but doesn't connect with the fans emotionally. You've got players who have the experience, but are they perhaps leading the way that you would want to? Is there too much weight being put on this Dortmund team in terms of expectation? Are they not as good as we think they are? How do we feel about Hans-Jochen Batzke and Michel Zork constantly talking about their best buddy, Jurgen Klopp, even though he's not there anymore? These are all issues that contribute to where Borussia Dortmund are now and the fact that that's not top of the Bundesliga. Yeah, they, they kind of do need to get over the the, uh, the old ex-girlfriend, don't they? It's, uh, <laughs> it, it's not... <laughs> it's a kind of one of those situations, isn't it? It's, it's, I suppose it's difficult when you've had someone who's just connected with the club and the fans and have brought success. And, and I guess at some point in the future, Liverpool are going to have the same situation and they have to have the same conversations and how do you move past Klopp? He's such an inspirational figure. But yeah, there's, there's certainly um, a lot of... Um, Discussion points, a lot, a lot of decisions to be made within Borussia Dortmund. Um, but moving on to uh, RB Leipzig then, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, his first season in charge there. What what did you make of it? Because as you mentioned earlier on, um, at one, one stage we all thought uh, Leipzig were potential uh, title winners, but they, they kind of faded off and were... Inconsistent, I, I think, is probably the, the best description of them. Yeah, they just drew too many games. 
I mean, they drew 12 games in the season. I mean, that's that's as many as, I mean, that's that's more than anybody in the top 10. I mean, that's, <laughs> I just don't think you can do that if you have any ambitions of winning the league. Um, and I think it's all, almost a little bit damning that they were able to finish in the top four despite uh, drawing 12 games. And I think that's maybe the concern. Um, I think that this was a season that had probably more potential from Julian Nagelsmann and Nabi Leipzig's perspective. Um, I think there was more opportunity there. I think they could have pushed by and I think they could have finished above Dortmund. I think they were let down by some some poor performances um, in certain games. You know, Nagelsmann spoke about the fact that they uh, lost to Freiburg and then drew to Freiburg. I, I don't think you can, with all due respect, and I'm sure anybody who, who knows how I feel about Freiburg know that I have a lot of respect for Freiburg, but you can't draw those games or lose those games if you have any ambitions of finishing in the top two, top one. Um, I do wonder whether some teams have basically just figured Leipzig out to a certain extent. You know, that does concern me. But yeah, I think it was a missed opportunity this season for Leipzig. What about a few of their players then? Because it has seen, obviously, it's been kind of the model, hasn't it? That they they scout very, very well. They recruit young, develop players, move them on, all kind of part of the uh, the whole business thing going on there. Uh, Timo Werner's obviously departed. He's gone to Chelsea. Uh, signed signed another player from the, that completely separate club in Salzburg that is in no way connected to uh, to Leipzig. Uh, who let, I mean, Charlie, he, he looks he looks a very impressive player. I'd seen him in the Champions League. I was really impressed by him. But what about the likes of um, uh, Upa Makano, who at one stage was being linked even with with Bayern and a sixty million move and. Yeah, things kind of like died off a bit for him in the second half of the season. So is there anything there in terms of the, the, the playing staff where you, you feel that um, they, they do still have them potential superstars or the qualities maybe sort of really dropped off? No, I think there's still a lot of good potential, uh, great potential in this squad. I think Upamakano is destined to play for one of the top teams in Europe still. Uh, I think he's a fantastic defender and it's, you know, it's easy to forget that he's still only 21. I uh, thought mm. that Konate was also uh, fantastic this season. Uh, Mukiele played well as well. There are a lot of good players in this team. Danny Olmo was was pretty important and, and made a difference when he arrived. Uh, but I think if I had to sort of, you know, Christopher Nkunku was also great. You know, there are lots of players who play very well in this team. But I think if I had to sort of pick out one or two, I would have to say Conrad Leimer was was fantastic. Again, another young player who probably looks destined to go on to play for a bigger team. Uh, Timo Werner's already made the move to play for one of those. But I'm curious to see how Leipzig move forward now. Obviously, they have recruited well from their feeder team and uh, it, it helps that they have that connection. But I, I'm curious to see how much further Leipzig can go under Nagelsmann. I mean, as I say, I feel like this season was a bit of a missed opportunity, but that doesn't mean that they played badly. You know, they scored 81 goals and had 66 points and finished third and will be in the Champions League next season. That's still a very good season for a side that, you know, isn't necessarily under pressure to do anything other than just do what they end up doing. So I, I'm curious because Nagelsmann obviously has ambitions to win trophies. I don't know whether he will do that with Leipzig. There's a possibility that, you know, he might surprise a few people in the Champions League this summer in the uh, the unusual Champions League that will happen in the space of five minutes in August. But it's a, it's a curious case. I think the next season will be pretty decisive for Nagelsmann and how we sort of feel about him moving forward as a coach. He's still very young. He's still got a lot of opportunities to coach elsewhere. But I don't want to say he's going through the motions. But it does feel like, you know, another third place finish with Leipzig is pretty much, you know, par for the course. I'd like to see him birdie a few. <laughs> yeah, uh, do you do you think there's a, in any way the possibility then that twelve months down the line, perhaps Nagelsmann looks along at uh, Lucien Favre if if he departs Borussia Dortmund then and thinks, okay, I'll take on the mantle of being the one to uh, finally replace Jurgen Klopp. Well, that that would be an interesting situation because you'd have a coach there who would have to tap into a certain level of passion that um, I don't know. I mean, he's obviously shown it to a certain degree on the sidelines, but it would be a very different type of character. This is a a person who is, is obviously obsessed with football. He may well have the opportunity to win things with Borussia Dortmund, yes. I would be keen to see it in some respects, 
but I wonder whether it would just be not the right man for the right time. I'm mm. not sure, but uh, it would be... I can't help but think he would probably be looking at other options potentially, yes, if they if they had another season where they just finished third and they didn't necessarily look like winning anything. Not that I think he's worried about running out of time because, as I say, I think he's still very young, but I think he'd probably be thinking, right, well, I want to be in it to win it. You know, I want to have a chance at least to be in the quarterfinals of something or in a title race. And uh, maybe another season of finishing third will make him realise I'm not anywhere closer to doing that with this team. But then, of course... There will be teams in, in England, I'm sure, that will be interested in him as well. So, yeah, maybe it's a question of timing. Uh, but if he does get the Dortmund job, he'd have to... I'd be curious to see what he would change because, you know, you look at the context of how he's been successful at Hoffenheim and Leipzig. He's been supported by big data. Uh, he's been supported by companies who have have leaned heavily into that area and he's never had difficulty in having that support. So... I'm curious to see what would change at Dortmund if he were to arrive. But for the time being, my main source of curiosity will be to see how he finishes with Leipzig in the Champions League this season. Mm, that that should certainly be an interesting one, especially without uh, Timo Werner there. Uh, another coach that had his uh, debut season was uh, Marco Rosa at uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, they, they finished in the top four. Uh, so, uh, I, I think sort of three games to go. It didn't look like that was going to be the case. Uh, but we will get to Leverkusen. But Marco Rosa, uh, I think you've done a really good job with Mönchengladbach. They're uh, predominantly, um, you know, fun, exciting team to watch, all energy. And, and I guess being a Gladbach fan, it must be enjoyable going to watch the team. Hugely. Uh, Gladbach were one of the most exciting teams to watch this season. And unfortunately, mm. they're one of the teams where you can't help but feel... I think I feel this way the most about Gladbach. If they had won or not drawn a couple of those games, how different things might have been for them. Um, as I said earlier, you know, that's the nature of sport. You can't always win everything all the time. But I just wish that they had won one or two more games and maybe that might have put them in a different spot because I genuinely thought that there was something special about them this season that maybe make, would make them run them even by and close for a certain period of time. But yeah, they, they sort of limped over the line a bit uh, in the end. I'm very impressed with the job that Rosa's done. Um, I think I'm also very, I mean, I have long been an, impressed with the work that Max Abel has done at the club, the sporting director. You know, the decision to get rid of Hacking and bring in, in Rosa was a brave one, considering where they finished last season. I think they finished fifth last season. And, you know, to go one better, qualify for the Champions League, you know, he said it many times, but it is really, really true for, for teams like Gladbach or Leverkusen. You know, finishing top four and finishing in the Champions League doesn't just mean, okay, we're going to get a good source of income, but it also means you can hold and keep the group of players together for another season and tell them, you know what, guys, why not play in Europe with us for one more year? You're in a team where you're, you're showing off your talents and we've played really well. This is a great opportunity. And for players like Alessandra Player or Marcus Turam or Florian Neuhaus, you know, or even Matthias Ginter, to be honest, because I think he's been amazing this season, those players have an opportunity to now to play in the Champions League with Gladbach and sort of show themselves off, but they don't have to leave straight away. And that's really the difference, I think, for a lot of teams in Germany, given what we were saying earlier about being a developmental league, is that if you finish in fifth and you go to the Europa League, you end up maybe losing one or two more players than you would if you were in the Champions League. Just because if you perform well in the Champions League, that is often the kind of superficial assessment that can get you uh, an opportunity in a team that good performances in the Europa League wouldn't get you. So credit to Gladbach, big time. And, it, and it's big for the club, for sure, that they finish in the top four because uh, that that puts them in a good spot financially and a very well-run club, I have to say. And they deserve a lot of credit for keeping themselves so well-run over the last few years. And yeah, I'm happy, happy for them that they finished fourth because it was nothing, uh, it was exactly what their performances deserved. Mm, I, I was going to say, I mean, I... I must admit, I, I thought looking at the, the squad depth, I, I thought um, a title challenge, a realistic title challenge was probably a little, uh, you know, a step too far. So, I mean, do you, do you think in terms of finishing fourth, do you, do you think Rosa's overachieved slightly with, with the actual, in terms of that squad depth or do you feel that that is, that's exactly where they should be then? No, I think fourth is where they should be. I think uh, you're right to say that a title challenge is probably beyond them, which is why I was so excited that it would look like it was possible at some point in the season. Um, 
but no, I think I think fourth is definitely where this team should be. Uh, th- there's obviously a question of depth there. If they had one or two more injuries, then things would look perhaps a little bit different. But I think there's enough quality in the in the 15 that they've got. Really, the match day 15, 16. I think that really is enough to put them in the top four bracket. If they could just be a little bit more consistent at certain times, then who knows what will be possible. But I think for teams like Gladbach and Leverkusen and Wolfsburg, I think it's better to have a a tight knit of 16 players that really are performing than to have 22 with the occasional dip in performance. I think that's a, a much greater value for teams aiming for a top four finish. Yeah, and it, uh, I suppose helps to keep that uh, that all important uh, dressing room togetherness. And, you know, you've got a nice tightly knit squad to Definitely. work together. Yeah, um, obviously they, they so they edged out Leverkusen for that fourth spot. Uh, Leverkusen, who finished fourth last season, uh, Peter Bosch still. I mean, I think you know, still doing an admirable job there with uh, with Leverkusen. They're they're a team who I I enjoy watching just just for the way that they play. Um, I, I For me, Moussa Diaby has been great fun to watch at times this season. I thought he was fantastic against Bayern earlier in the season. It was the epitome of um, of counter-attacking football. But, I mean, obviously the, the, the main focus when you talk about uh, Bayer Leverkusen is going to be Kai Havertz. So, uh, you know, as well as, as your thoughts on Bayer Leverkusen and finishing fifth... What what do you think will be the best move for Kai Havertz this this summer? Because my personal opinion is, I think he would it would be in his best interests to to stay for for just one more season and reassess his options next year. Yeah, I mean Leverkusen and Kai Havertz feels like the same thing in the same breath at the at the moment, given given the uh, hype around the young man and how well he's played this season. I I think it was I think it's obviously disappointing for Leverkusen that they finished fifth. They want to be in the top four, much like Gladbach. You know they benefit from the ability to keep a squad together by giving the Champions League uh, as an option to their players. But you know, lest we forget, they were also in a German Cup final. I think that was perhaps distracting them a little bit. And they're also still in the Europa League, so there is an opportunity there for them to still win a trophy. The season, Peter Bosch, you're right to say, has done an admirable job. I think they. They played pretty well. Uh, they they were at times one of the most entertaining teams along with Gladbach to watch. I think the issue sometimes with Leverkusen, or it certainly felt that way, was that they were capable of of just crumbling very quickly if things didn't go to plan. And obviously the way that Bosch plays is quite risky. And if it doesn't pay off and there are individual errors, then things can go a completely different way. Um I thought Edmund Tapsova was a great signing. I'm really keen to see his development continue. But there's a great example of sort of Leverkusen's season in a nutshell. You know, plays so well, makes a massive difference. And then in the German Cup final, makes the kind of foul that is almost inexcusable for a defender who should know better than to give Robert Lewandowski the opportunity to win that free kick on the edge of the box and totally change the the complexion of the game. Um, And I feel like that was sort of a perfect example of Leverkusen's season at times. You know, they looked in control, they seemed to be going in the right direction and then they would make some sort of, they would make an error or there would be a poor judgment. Nevertheless, there were some high points and I think I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if Kevin Folland hadn't got injured for that spell. Uh, he was really impressive for just before that. I was impressed with him and you're right to point out Moussa Diaby, another player who looks like he only has one more season at Leverkusen before someone else buys him. As for Harvards, it's a tricky one. Um, I have to say, I think uh, my opinion differs a bit because I think he's ready to play for a bigger team. I think he has reached a point where he needs to be on a bigger stage. He needs to play Champions League every year and he needs to play with better players week in, week out. I think he's also just, as a as a player that has reached a certain point in his ability, he's now better than Leverkusen. And I think Leverkusen would be wise to make the decision to sell him financially, but also because I think Leverkusen, like any side, needs to move on from a player that is clearly bigger and better than the club at that moment. They need to move forward and figure out how they're going to play next season without him because he was such a key player for them this season. Where should he go? Only he can answer that question, obviously. Uh, I would actually prefer him. I don't see him fitting in either of the teams that have been rumoured to interest, uh, rumored to be interested in him in the Premier League. I don't see him fitting in a Chelsea team. I don't see him fitting in a Liverpool team. 
So I, I'm personally just a bit surprised about that because I, the way that he plays, I, I from my humble perspective, I, I just don't see that working without the teams changing the way that they want to play, which in Liverpool's case would be ridiculous because they just won the league by a thousand points and they don't need to change the way they play. And Chelsea, well, maybe there could be a case for changing the way they play to suit him, but that would seem strange given that they also have just bought other players this summer. So I, I personally think that he's the type of player that should go to Barcelona or Real Madrid. I think he's reached that point. I think he should play now with one of the biggest clubs in the world and see how he fares because he is capable of of changing a game. He's capable of controlling a game. It's it's early. He's only 21, uh, but why not? He really has the opportunity to be, I think, I don't want to necessarily make that comparison because that's unfair, but when Mario Götze first arrived, everyone thought he was the best player since Beckenbauer, Matthias, you know, one of the legendary players. His career never never went that way for a number of reasons, but maybe Kai Havertz can go a different way. His career can can move in a different perspective. Maybe he can sustain things beyond 24 years because it's it's tough for, for Götze because he basically achieved everything you can by, with such a young age. So maybe things will be different with Havertz, but I think that move to, to Madrid or Barcelona, that would be the one that I would I would prefer for him. Mm, I mean, I guess my, my my thinking on it is just purely that the, the situation that we're in in terms of COVID and obviously the financial impact that it's going to have on the game that, you know, it's almost like an unfortunate timing for him. Had we not been in this situation, then perhaps those clubs would be in for him. But it, it may well be that just down to financial limitations that the price that he would command may limit the the clubs who could actually afford to come and and get him for his talent. That's maybe what that's that's really kind of where I'm coming from in terms of that twelve months from now, perhaps these other clubs will be in a better position financially to be able to invest. And then he will have the full specter of clubs to pick from. Because I, I mean I do agree with you. I think he is absolutely capable of doing it right now. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think uh you know the the transfer market has changed and it will be a strange one this summer nevertheless um teams are still buying players for large amounts of money i mean you know Leroy Sané joining Bayern Munich for what was it 50 million i mean it doesn't feel like football as is so often the case is ever going to be stopped or or halted by anything you know it lives in its own world it plays by its own rules to to a certain degree so I, I don't know. I think it will be a slightly different transfer window, but at the same time, um, maybe maybe there will be an option for him to join one of those teams because football is, is crazy. But yeah, maybe the best option for him if those two options aren't available is to stay because it, there's nothing worse than taking a wrong move and joining a team where you end up not playing and finding yourself out of form and out of favour and then having to resurrect your career at... 23 yeah. because that that is a really difficult spot so yeah maybe he should stay if the landscape isn't right for him this summer but easy to say because you know he's what happens if he plays badly for Leverkusen next season has an injury and uh, misses six months you know obviously these are all ifs and whens and you know you shouldn't make massive decisions on things that haven't happened yet but it's it's a difficult time for him I'm sure because he's probably weighing up all those options yeah, he's got the world at his feet. <laughs> he must certainly out a sensational blockbuster talent. I huge, huge uh, admirer of him. Um, I mean, just on the subject of finances, I, I guess that takes us nicely along to FC Schalke Nurfia. Um, a season that started encouragingly, but drifted away so, so badly um, in a way that only Schalke can. Um, a tough one for David Wagner, but Schalke are under financial constraints uh, and to top it all off, um, a lot of controversy um, in the boardroom as well. But uh, eventually Clemens Tunney's departed the club. Um, what do you make of, of Schalke? Where, where, to be, where to begin, really? Um, <laughs> the club has... So we could do a separate pod on Schalke, yeah, you, aren't you? You really could. Um <laughs> It's a strange club. It's uh, it's such a it's such an unusual situation. I mean, they're they're a massive club, but they haven't performed like it, and I think that's part of the problem. They've been suffering under the pressure of the expectation that they hold themselves, you know, the standard that they hold themselves to, and it's just 
it's just so difficult for them to deliver when they continually seem to make errors along the way. You know, Clemens Tunius is a man that should have gone a long time ago after all the decisions he made in not leading the club in the right direction, uh, questionable business decisions and horrendous choice of words uh, and opinions over the last few months that are the kind of thing that are just unacceptable in any position, but let alone a club that can that continues to state that they're a club that is open and you know welcoming and and recognizes its importance in the community. So good riddance in in the sense of Clements Tunius, but the rest of the club has serious work to do. You know, they're financially under a lot of pressure. This summer is going to be very much a case of uh tightening tightening up those purses because They've got to make sure that they survive as a club. The decision to stick with David Wagner is a brave one. It has to work. Otherwise, the club will be relegated, I think. They have to figure out how they're going to play football. You know, there were a couple of times at the end of the season uh, where Wagner was sort of suggesting that that something more than the, the, the level that was on show wasn't possible, which is pretty damning praise from, from your head coach. They got a lot of youth players that came through who just did not look like Bundesliga players. And they have to figure out how they're going to get Bundesliga standard. Because if they start next season the way that they finish the last, they're going to be in trouble early. And I just don't think they're the type of club that can recover from that. I expect a few players to leave because I think some players uh, will want out of the situation and Schalke will be forced financially to cash in on that situation. But maybe that's what this club needs. I, I, I'm getting to the point now where I think I feel like a lot of people probably feel the same way. I don't know what Schalke needs. I think they need to listen to their fans more. And that's certainly something they did in regards to Tunius. But we've tried so many, or it seems like they've tried so many things. You know, when, when Marcus Weinzel and Christian Heidel were appointed, I think a lot of people thought that was going to be the dream team, I myself included. It didn't work out that way. We've seen a lot of coaches come and go. And I, I just don't know what this club needs to do. I think they need some stability. I think they need to, to press the, the reset button would be the easy answer, but they've been pressing it manically for the last five seasons. So maybe they just need to take a minute and take a breath. And maybe the coronavirus in that sense will, will force them into making stronger decisions for the future of the club. But it is a big mess. And I think the biggest shame is that this is a, a football club that, you know, is, is a massive club in Germany, has an enormous following, has a, a great history, not just in terms of winning, but has a great history of bringing through so many young, talented players into the German system. And I think they've just got, get to, to, got to get back to those, those roots somehow and uh, find out who they want to be moving forward because at the moment, they are unfortunately still very much a mess. I, I often think in football, you know, whether you've got money or haven't got money, you know, the, the most important thing is having the right people in the right places. Uh, and, and obviously just dependent on what your need is. And, and, and I guess this is the thing for Schalke is just needing to have the right, the right people in terms of scouting, the right people in terms of strategy, in terms of balancing the books, in terms of coaching the team. Um, it's, and, and that gets, I guess that's the thing is what we don't know yet is do Schalke have the right people in the right places for the situation they're in going forward? Yeah, that's excellent. That's an excellent point. And it's so true because ultimately, you know, you need the right staff. You need, and the only way you can generate trust and the only way you can generate a real sense of unity is by is by forging those relationships with the right people. And part of the problem, I think, at clubs like Schalke and Hamburg is that I think there are too many too many cooks basically and I think you need to start figuring out who is going to lead you forward and who's going to be a part of the team that leads you forward but isn't the ultimate voice I think Schalke is the type of club that is so big that so many people are involved in the process that sometimes it's easy to get lost and figure out who's actually making the decision and I think that the club needs to figure that out quickly because at least from the outside it looks like a real mess because you one week, you know, you feel like whatever Clements Tunia says or does, he can get away with anything. Okay, now he's gone. So who steps into that situation? You've got rid of, uh, you're changing people at almost all levels. You know, they've got a new press uh, officer. 
um, for the new season. David Wagner staying, Jochen Schneider is there saying that they're going to stick with Wagner and they're going to move forward and that he would he would sooner leave his own job than get rid of Wagner. Well, that's an enormous amount of trust, but then you've got to give him the support that he needs. So you're absolutely right to say that they need to get the right people in place. And I guess obviously only time will tell us whether whether they are. But I think for Schalke's sake, if they're not, I feel like the consequences of one more bad season could be absolutely dire. And, you know, we could see Schalke Nulfir in the second division, which would be unthinkable. Yeah, uh, you know, a big club dropping out. I mean, an- another big club, uh, Werder Bremen, who, who very, very nearly uh, dropped out this season. They, they run they run things very, very close. Um, the great escape uh, is... <laughs> I perhaps is an understatement. No, you know, that you is. could say <laughs> no. <laughs> I think the, it's the, um yeah, I mean a great any team you, that, that concedes sixty nine goals and still stays in the division <laughs> is is definitely escaping something in, in miraculous fashion. It's almost like they decided to get it right when it mattered. And um there was obviously some the last massive, day of the season. Yeah, I mean the last day of the season. Although <laughs> It seems like Cologne were already on holiday at that point. And yeah, I mean, Werder Bremen can be very happy to stay in the division. I think the difference with Bremen and Schalke, you know, we're just talking about Schalke, is that I think Bremen are a very well-run club. I think behind the the scenes, yeah, they've got good people. You know, I think Marco Bordeaux and Frank Baumann are doing a decent job. And I think beyond them, the board and the way the club is run and financially, I think they're in a really good spot. You know, this is not a club that's driving itself into the ground or you know, that has too many egos and old players running around saying X, Y, Z. I I think the issue about the football club is the way that they play football, uh, which is which is actually an, a, a blessing and a curse in some respects because it could be so much bigger and so much worse. But if you only have to worry about the football and to a certain extent, maybe some of the recruitment, then then that's okay because at least you know where the issues are. Whereas I think with Schalke and Hamburg, for example, it's so big that it's hard to know where even to start. I think Bremen, you know, let's be honest, I think Milo, Milo Rashica is probably going to leave. Um, so there's going to be some money coming in there, but there's obviously going to be an enormous loss of quality. They've got to make some good decisions this summer about moving forward because I think, you know, they had some injuries, of course, and that hasn't helped them or didn't help them down the stretch. But, you know, there's been some woefully bad performances. You know, Josh Sargent did not play well this season. Um Maximilian Eggerstein dropped off really disappointingly for a player that was once in the Germany team and who I personally had high hopes for. They really do miss Max Kruse in attack for all of the quality that they've got going forward. Um, there was just a, a complete level of, of disappointing under par performances in, in too many positions. And, and also, you know, Davies Elka didn't work out. Uh, Omar Toprak didn't really work out. They've got to get their recruitment right this season because. Let's not forget that a year ago or a season ago, they were on the edge of Europe. And I, like many of the people I work with, predicted that they would get into Europe this season. And I think that tells you everything about how dramatic their drop in performances has been because this was a side that had the potential to do much better than they did. And I think they just collectively and individually disappointed. Uh, I mean, we, we've spoken so much about coaches. I, I know it is a general theme, but that you know, Verde did keep um, keep faith with uh, Florian Kohfeldt, where you know, just about every other team <laughs> in that end of the table changed coach throughout the uh, the season. Do, do you think it was almost they've re- re- they've been rewarded for that, or it was just purely that um, they had a, enough quality? At just the right time where other teams maybe perhaps didn't have the same level of quality in their squad as they did. I think it's always easy to say if you stay up that you made the right decision, isn't it? You know, that's football. You know, if you go down, then it was the wrong decision to keep him. And I think actually what you've got to do as a club is assess whether the way you played and the way that the club was run in those last few months, was that the way that you want it to be going forward? Because ultimately that should be the deciding factor, not, okay, we stayed in, therefore everything's fine. We we avoided relegation, therefore we knew, you know, that proves that keeping Florian was the right decision. Now, I think he wants to make some changes at the, the coaching level, the, the staff and the way the club is run. Um, that certainly seems to be the suggestion now that he's staying on as coach uh, for the next season. I think he's on a much shorter, uh, you know, time frame going into the new season if 
he doesn't hit the ground running um, because if things look bad by December, I don't think Werder Bremen will have the same patience that they had this season. As I say, the most important thing is that they assess how the club is run, how their football is being played and how the recruitment looks. I don't think they have any doubts about Florian Kohlfeldt, the coach, the man, the way that he is um, around the club, that he you know connects and understands Werder Bremen. But they have to feel comfortable about the way he, whether he can get the best out of this team in the new season. And if they don't feel comfortable about that, you know, that's one of the deciding factors moving forward. But I don't think he's got much time to, uh, to get it wrong, let's say, but not, that would be the wrong way to look at it. He's got to focus on getting a new group together, make some changes um, on and off the field and get Werder Bremen back in the top 10 um, because that's the kind of stability that they, they need. I mean, not only did they just only just um, escape the bottom two by the skin of their teeth, but they only got through the uh, the relegation playoff by the skin of their teeth. Um, so a word for Heidenheim, because that really would have been some story. You know, a tiny little club getting themselves into into the uh, the, the first Bundesliga at the expense of Haasvau and Werder Bremen. I mean, that really would have been something, wouldn't it? It would have been uh, amazing, um, but. I will say that I think if they'd been promoted, we we would have seen Paderborn or worse again. I mean, they they have a, a decent way to play. They, they are brave, but I think the individual quality of Heidenheim is is not Bundesliga ready. Um, I've had conversations about this in the past. I think that the relegation playoff system is is outdated and needs updating. And I would would like to see a three up, three down. Um, or if not, then. Um, there could be a conversation about the playoff system that we uh, have in the championship in England being introduced uh, in the second division. My only issue with that, of course, is that you would potentially open the door to a side that you know, finishes sixth in an 18-team league, which is not the same as a side that finishes sixth in a 24-team league. So mm. there are some yeah. question marks there about how much mediocrity you want to reward. You know, for example, yeah. if that had been the case this season, you'd be giving Hanover the opportunity to go in uh, into the playoffs despite only having 48 points. And, you know, yeah. that's that's it's... problematic. Um, so I think I would prefer to see three up, three down, because I think one way that you can mix the money around German football better is by not having a system that continually rewards the Bundesliga side, which the playoff system at the moment does because the difference between Bremen and Heidenheim was obvious, even if it was dramatic at the end. But I think that if, if it was a three-up, three-down, Werder Bremen would have fired Florian Kohlfeldt and they would be playing second division football next season and they would be forced to change a lot about the way that the club is run and they would have to start again, as it were. And Heidenheim would be joyous and would have an opportunity to play one Bundesliga season and come back down probably, but then they would at least be given... X amount of money to invest in the team and the stadium and the and the club and whatever, so it feels like an opportunity for German football there. But um, I don't know whether they'll take it because at the moment it seems like the uh, playoff system, as I say, is just there to protect the status of poorly performing Bundesliga teams. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think three up, three down will, will certainly be fairer. And I mean, the case of Union Berlin you know 12 months ago was was certainly the exception rather than the rule because it does uh, is it something one in 18 or something like that yeah, where like that, yeah. it is such a rare one where where the yeah, the side to Bundesliga team actually uh, comes out on top so yeah the, the difference in finance and quality and everything like that it's it's naturally sort of um shifted in favor of the the first Bundesliga team so yeah, above all else as well, though, for Heidenheim, even like you say, you know, there's the money aspect of it that they can invest into their into the squad, into the the stadium. But for their fans that season, you know, it's just it's all part of that because football, uh, above everything else, is that emotional journey. And it's about those moments and those memories. And I guess for those Heidenheim fans, is, regardless of whatever happened, they would still always be able to cherish that that you know that year they went up and that season that they had in the Bundesliga yeah I mean it would have been a magical situation I mean obviously some Heidenheim fans might say well I'm glad we didn't go up because who knows whether we would have been able to experience the Bundesliga in the stadium because who knows what it will look like <laughs> next season 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And I think that's probably the most important point beyond the, the finance and all of that is that you're also opening the door for a whole new set of football fans to experience Bundesliga football and to, to have an away day at Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and to experience some some of the best, you know, atmospheres and, and, and quality players in, in the country. And I think uh, that's something that fans of teams like, you know, Heidenheim, um, they they deserve. Uh, and I'm excited to, to see Armenia Bielefeld uh, have that opportunity again next season after, what is it, so many years? I can't remember. Was it 98, 99? Uh, feels, I think it was, but it's been it's been a long time. So I'm excited for them to to come back, and I think you're right. As a football fan, that's the joy, isn't it? Having those moments where you can say, "I was there when we got promoted. I was there when we uh, we went to to Dortmund away. We went to Gladbach away. Special moments." Yeah, that's it. I mean, like you said, uh, Bielefeld and Stuttgart are going up. They're probably better suited and and in a better position to. Uh, stand a chance of staying up next season than Heidenheim would but I guess it is what it is um, just before we, we wrap things up then uh, Hamburg as we mentioned you know, they're, they're the team that missed out uh, did the same thing as last season look you know all season long in the top two looking like they're going up then dropping to third and then right near the end dropping out to, to fourth place so they sack uh, Dieter Hecking another coach gone from Hamburg um, a long list of coaches that they've gone through over the past uh, decades or two decades. Uh, but his replacement is quite a significant appointment, isn't it, Jonathan? And, and you wrote uh, an excellent article on this. Yeah, Daniel Tune is the uh, the new Hamburg boss and I have uh, a lot of time for, for him as a coach, uh, but I think it's a really important moment uh, for the coaching community, not just generally, but specifically in, in Germany. You know, Daniel Thun was a very successful head coach at Osnabrück. Um, he took them to the third division title and then and guided them to to safety mid-table virtually in, in the second division. And uh, had, or at least it, it felt like mid-table. I think it was probably a little bit lower, but they, were, they weren't really in, in danger of being relegated. And I, uh, you know, he deserves a lot of respect for that. But the appointment... Is, is an important one um, because I think Tune is a different type of coach to, to Dieter Hecking, but also because it's an important moment for black coaches in, in Germany and also just coaches in football. You know, there's a severe lack of diversity in football, whether that be on the sideline uh, or, or in, the, uh, in the boardroom. And I think that needs to change. I have no doubt that some clubs are making an effort to to do that. I don't think Hamburg made this decision uh, based on the color of his skin. That would be a terrible reason for appointing someone. Uh, I think the right reason is that he's a very talented coach and what the system needs to do is start to support coaches across the board and not start to give preferential treatment to white coaches. Um, I think we have to start to recognize that there are many talented coaches out there and their ability as coaches is what defines them, not the color of their skin. And I think the appointment's a very exciting moment for Hamburg uh, because I hope and I think he can be different to coaches that have come and gone before. But I think it's a very important moment in the history of German football because Daniel Tune has the opportunity to show German football that they need to open their eyes and think more broadly. And I think, in fact, he already has. But if he were to be the coach to guide Hamburg back into the Bundesliga, then the evidence would be so damning that it would be impossible to look away from the fact that more needs to be done. And I wish him all the best with it because I, I think he's a very talented coach. I'm really interested to see the way that Hamburg play next season uh, because as a coach, he had Osnabrück playing very vertically. That's very different to the way Hamburg have played in recent seasons. And I expect there to probably be a change in personnel on the pitch to accommodate that. May take him a year or two, but I think and I hope he's given the time to do that. He comes with a very talented uh, assistant coach who he brings with him from Osnabrück, Merlin Poulton, who's you know supposed to be 
uh, one of the next best things in terms of coaches in, in Germany. So this is a really big moment for a number of reasons, but I think the bottom line is that if Daniel Tune, a black man who grew up in Germany, who, who was a professional footballer, but made it as a professional footballer through amateur leagues, not by going into an academy, and who spent a long time as a coach at youth level, if he were to be the coach to take Hamburg, then that would be just a seismic moment. The fact that he's already there and has been given this opportunity is proof that Daniel Tune has overcome so much to get to where he is and he hasn't stopped and he deserves a lot of credit for that. So I'm excited by the uh, the moment, the the moment in history that this is. I'm excited by the the potential that this appointment gives and brings Hamburg. And I hope that a lot of Hamburg fans are too because I'm sure after the way that last season ended, they feel like things can only get better and not worse. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I know obviously sport and, and football and social matters constantly, uh, constantly intertwine, uh, and, and we see a lot of unpleasant things, and you know, we, we see things that we don't want to see. They happen in football, uh, and people do point out, look, you know, this isn't just a football thing; it's it is a social thing. It's you know, th- this is happening in society. That's why we're seeing it in football. So, uh, given everything that's happened this year. Uh, and the you know the whole coronavirus situation, the 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 pandemic that everyone's kind of battled through, and then the the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement, and I think the the powerful message that's been given in unison by by the players, not just I mean not just in the Bundesliga all over, but it it would I think it would in some ways kind of capture you know that uh, how things have moved on you know how a lot of almost a lot of eyes have been opened over these past few months. It would be almost poetic that if, uh, you know, that Daniel Toon is the, uh, is the guy to take Hamburg up, that it really sort of, um, I guess, again, I say, you know, kind of captures a, a movement. And this is the, you know, the start of change, you know, we, we, where we are in the world, this, this is, things are changing and they're changing positively. I think it has the opportunity to be that. I think this season has shown that football, like many sports, but particularly football, can no longer be separated from its inclusion or its connection with society. You cannot keep politics and messages out of football because that would be to deny the fact that the people involved in the sport are also human beings. And the people involved in the game, whether they're players or coaches, have their own feelings and have their own lives. And those are impacted by the same policies and pressures and expectations that are on us. You know, the difference is that footballers are in the limelight 24-7 and they earn a lot of money. And that shouldn't lead us to forget that they are also human beings. And I think that's really the bottom line. This season has shown through the protests, through the way that football has had to reassess itself in the face of the coronavirus, but also the way that the movement that has been evident from a lot of players in the league after the Black Lives Matter movement started in the US after the killing of George Floyd, that players have a voice and they are not afraid to use it. And I think that's very powerful. I hope it continues. I hope it never stops until we get to a point where equality is tangible and visible and not just something that we talk about being an ambition and something in the future, because I think we have to stop talking about it being something that is happening and you know progressing. I think we have to make it happen now. We have to make it a change that is swift and permanent, because for too long we've we've looked away and for too long we've ignored the basic fact that it's not an equal world, and that needs to change. Uh, hope that football's power can bring about that change we've already seen a lot of people make a big difference and and use their platform like I say I hope it continues and I hope that the success in my eyes that Daniel Tune has already achieved as a head coach is proof that we need to recognize it more and more and make it something permanent well I I can't think of a better place to to end the podcast so um, all I'll say is, is 
is Jonathan. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Many thanks for coming on. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. Uh, and dear listener, thank you very much for uh, tuning in, for downloading this podcast. Um, I've been Andy Wills, joined by the magnificent uh, Jonathan Hardin here for the Dog Out Podcast on WFI. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.